0: If you want to turn your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, chapter 15. Psalm chapter number 15 a Psalm, certainly one of the ones that David wrote. Um, wrote several of them, as we know. But, but here this morning, David d- describes the kind of person that will live in the kingdom of God. That can be an oh yeah, and that can be an oh me. That can be both all at the same time. But, but he talks about what kind of expectations does the Lord have, for those who will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to read first. There's only five verses. here. Psalm chapter 15, a psalm of David. It says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle, and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up reproach against his neighbor. In whose eyes of all person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. So I want to look at a picture this morning, if we could, just for a minute. I wanna look at God's family portrait. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you, Lord, for grace that truly is without measure and mercy that we don't deserve and love that is truly beyond understanding, God. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you, God, that you'd save sinners like us, God. Thank you for this precious book that you would give to us to hold and to learn from that we might study, that you might teach us, God. I thank you for Faith Baptist Church, Father. I thank you for those that are here, God. I know from the text this week, there's many at home, many with COVID, many Um, with COVID, um, Lord, I don't want to say fears, but but certainly needing to protect themselves. And right now, I know they're watching by way of live stream. God, I pray you'd reach out and bless them right where they are. I know some are getting in those last-minute vacations before school starts. Father, I pray you'd reach out and bless them right where they are. Put a hedge of protection about them. Bring them home safe, God. Lord, I just want to tell you thank you for being so good. I want to ask you to meet with us this morning. Help us to be pleasing to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse number one, David asked the Lord two questions. The the first question is, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Both of those words are a place of pilgrimage. They are a, a temporary place. The word for abide there, it means a traveler on a journey looking for a temporary place to stay. It is a sojourner, is what the Bible refers to many times. It is a traveler, somebody looking for some temporary lodging. Then he has the word um, tabernacle here. It's also the word for tent. A tent is a place of pilgrimage. A tent is a temporary structure. Bible's on the backwaters. The guys went out last week. They put up tents they stayed there for three nights they had a revival out by the lake if you will out by west point lake they had preaching and they had the sharing of the gospel and they had some fun and some fellowship but they were there in tents a tent is a symbol of something that is that is transient something that is that is temporary not permanent and lasting you look at men like abraham isaac and jacob they they were extremely wealthy men they could have built palaces had they chosen to they could have had Servants waiting on them they they had plenty of money to do it yet the Word of God tells us that they chose to dwell in tents. It was a sign of of mobility it's a sign of of pilgrimage. It was a sign of saying, "Lord, I am ready to go wherever you say go, whenever you say, go, just let me know. I will pull up the stakes, take up the tent i 'll go exactly where you say, go, whenever you say and be." Whatever you tell me to be. So David writes this psalm having just pitched the tent where the Ark of the Covenant resides. Can I tell you that God himself, this blows my mind. He didn't just become God in the flesh. He didn't just become Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He didn't just become sins for all of mankind so that you and I don't have to go to hell, but we get to go to heaven. I'm amazed by all that. I'm amazed that he cares about what my name is. I'm amazed that he cares anything about Faith Baptist Church. I'm amazed that he could use us, but I'm amazed that God became a pilgrim. God made himself mobile. God came here and he led the children of Israel in the beginning in a cloud of day and in a fire by night to give them light. God resided between the wings of the cherubims over the Ark of the Covenant in a tent behind a veil in a place called the Holy of Holies. God came and dwelt in a tent for a series of time. It was David's heart to to go into that place where God was. David has just pitched his tent for the Ark of the Covenant there in Mount Zion. And he says, Lord, who can come into your tent? It was his desire to to go in there, but Mosaic law forbade it. Remember, he went as far as the holy place. You know, the Bible talks about how he went into the holy place and he and his men ate the showbread that was only for the priest. He went that far, but he knew he couldn't go any further than that or God would kill him. It was his desire to go into this this holy place, as is everything else in the Old Testament. It is a forerunner of things to come. It is a picture of what is going to take place. Not just everybody could go into the Lord's tent. Not just anybody, only the high priest and only once a year could go into the holy of holies, not just anybody in that day was allowed to come into the very presence of God. Even today, pay attention, stay with me. Don't let me lose you on the front end. You're going to have to follow me through it. Even today, not everybody gets to dine at the Lord's table. Not just anybody today will be present at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Not just everybody will dwell in the house of the Lord forever only those who have an invitation. But here's the deal. Everybody gets an invitation. The invitation is open to whosoever wills. The invitation was open to all that there is. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus talked about a parable, and he said there was a father, his son was getting married, and he sent out an invitation to the friends of the bridegroom, and he said, come, friends and family, let's have a feast. Let's get together. My son's getting married, but in the parable, Jesus said that they didn't come. They made excuses why they couldn't be there, so the father said, go out into the streets. Go out into those that that we don't even know and and open the invitation to all who will come and, and bring them inside. So they had to have an invitation to come into the wedding. The invitation in that parable describes how God sent Jesus to the Jew first. And the Jews said, no, thank you. Even though the Old Testament told them that the Messiah would come and he fit every bill there, they turned down the invitation. That's where you and I get to say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because now the invitation is made available to everybody. God, God has made an open invitation. Everyone will receive an invitation. But only those whose invitation is returned sealed in the blood of the Lamb of God, will go into the presence of God. Only those who take time to to return, who respond while abiding in this tabernacle, while living in this temporary tent, stay, let, let me put it in plain English. God has offered everybody an invitation to abide with him in heaven for all of eternity. But the invitation is only good as long as you're alive in this life. When you take your last breath in this life, if you have accepted Christ, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb of God, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. At that moment, you will see the face of Jesus Christ and you'll be with Him forever. But if you take that last breath and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, all decisions are final. There is no purgatory. There is no time out. There is no, Lord, I have my invitation with me. I want to accept it now. All decisions are final. So God says, I'm offering you an invitation to stay with me for all of eternity through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. Here's your invitation, but it must be accepted now in this life. That's plain English. Everybody got that one? The second question David asked the Lord is, is who can come into thy holy hill. A hill is a sign of something permanent. Second Samuel chapter seven, David desired to go uh, into the temple of God. He said to Nathan the prophet, see how I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. David desired to build a temple for God. He wanted to build a temple, a place that God might come, but, but God said, no, you're not gonna be able to do that. But in verse number 12, he said to David through Nathan the prophet, When thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God promises David that even though he's not allowed to build this temple, but because of his heart's desire, he is going to set up this covenant that will be established forever. So here's what we see in verse number one. There's going to be two places in which we'll live. One will be in this earthly tent, this temporary tabernacle. The other one will be somewhere in a place of eternity. That'll be by choice based on what you do with the invitation. David says, who, Lord, will abide with you? What the text shows us is that those who do not abide with the Lord in this life in this tabernacle, in this tent, those who do not abide with him temporarily now will not dwell with him then. Those who do not abide with him in this fleshly tabernacle will not live with God in heaven for all of eternity. To dwell is to reside. It means a place of permanence. The holy hill is a reference to God's eternal home. So we clearly have two places Two different times. This temporary place and a place of permanent residence. So David asked the question Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? But in verse number two, he begins to answer the question. Everybody ready, seat belts fastened, chin straps snapped. Hold on, it'll all be good in the end, but it's going to be a little bumpy along the way. He that walketh uprightly, worketh righteousness, speaketh the truth in his heart david describes the life of a man who will be a resident a full-time permanent resident in the kingdom of god but he says that he walketh uprightly walketh is talking about how we live every day he's talking about how we act how how we go about doing things it's talking about our actions do we walk in a way that the world can easily see christ in us every day the word uprightly that's our primary word here in the verse it means more than just doing okay it carries the meaning of being perfect on the inside as well as on the outside it means that, that our daily walk is to be consistent with the word of god it is it, not just what we do but it's also what we say and what we think it's not just actions and deeds that have to line up with the word of god But it's thoughts and processes that all needs to be in line with God's Word. Now, in the Old Testament, we know that the children of Israel had to bring a sacrifice. You know about the lambs, the rams, the goats. You know if a family was poor, they could have two turtle doves. But you know about the sacrifice for the lamb. A father had to bring a sacrificial offering that once a year, and it had to be an unspotted lamb. Everybody know what I'm talking about. Uh, If not, you go back and read the Old Testament. I'll give you some homework. You need to study up on a little bit. If you're not ready, you need to. You're going to stand before the author of the book one day, and the last thing you're going to do is look the author in the eyes and say, I never read your book. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you got a little homework, go catch up. But I'll give you a little bit brief in a nutshell. They had to bring a sacrificial lamb for the sins of their family. It was a sin offering, and it had to be unspotted. But for the man who wanted to be upright, the man who wanted to do something different, he already had the Mosaic Law. He already had that he had to do this one-time sacrifice. It had to be the first male lamb of a ewe lamb. It had to be unspotted and without blemish. But for the man who wanted to go a step above, a man who wanted to be upright, he wanted to do something special, he would go into his herd, and he would take his his prize-winning stud, and he would take that that lamb and he would go through his fur with a fine tooth comb looking for any imperfections not one hair out of color making sure that everything was good looking at the skin underneath the hair to make sure that this animal was perfect looking at his ears and looking at his gums and and checking his feet to make sure that this animal was flawless before taking it to the priest he carries it to the priest the priest does the exact same routine. He goes over this animal the same way, the hair, the fur, the feet, the teeth, the gum. He checks out to make sure that this animal is completely perfect on the outside. He is flawless. There are no blemishes visible on this animal, but the sacrifice is not complete yet. This particular sacrifice, the priest would take it in and he would put it on on the altar and he would sacrifice this animal. Then he would take all of the interior parts of the animal and he would go through each interior part, inspecting this animal to make sure that everything on the inside was as perfect as everything that was on the outside. When the animal was found to be completely perfect, perfect and unblemished on the inside and on the outside, then you had this perfect sacrifice that is to be without blemish. Now, to put that in spiritual terms is what David is talking here in the psalm. The man who will dwell in the Lord's house must be blameless. Uh Uh-oh. The man who will dwell in the Lord's house must be without blemish, not just on the outside, but on the inside. David says that the man walks uprightly, but not only does he walk uprightly, but it says that he worketh righteousness. That means the the works that he does must be able to stand the test, must be able to stand the trial of fire as recognized by God. Paul talks about that. First Corinthians chapter three, the things that we do, the works that we do here on earth will be tried as by fire. Things that we do for wrong motives, wrong intentions, you know, to see and be seen, pat on the back, compliments of men, things that we do with wrong interior motives, those things will be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. But things that you did for the glory of God, things that you truly did that a lost soul might be saved or that a Christian might find help, that somebody might find a way, things you did that God himself might be glorified, those things will come through the fire as gold and silver and precious stones, and there will be rewards to be without blemish. Then David goes into one of the greatest areas of trouble. Lord, I hate to even go there. It's going to get us all in so much trouble, but I can't pass it. If I could, I would, but I can't dance around the word of God. It is that wicked, deceitful tongue. God help me. I would cut it out, but that don't stop me from thinking it. Amen. James says in 3.2, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. David says that the man who dwells in the Lord's house says he speaketh the truth in his heart. That word truth is used 237 times in the Word of God. This is the first of 41 times that we find it here in the Psalms. Only God can see what is in a man's heart. David says the one who dwells in the Lord's house is the one who not only speaks the truth, but the truth lives inside of him. And, and everything in them desires to be pleasing to god it's, it's just like the examination of that sheep there has to be an inspection of the outside and the inside i'm fixing to go to meddling right here i'd appreciate it if nobody leave because it's going to look bad on yourself if you leave right now please don't turn me off on live stream i'll be done besides you at home you didn't have to experience this this morning anyway so just keep your sets on don't go anywhere. You too, a promise it's just, it's just in the house right here because there's going to be somebody that says, oh, my goodness, oh, I did that this morning. If you didn't do it today, you've probably done it this week. If you ever had to talk to somebody that, um, oh, it sounds so brutal, you just really don't care that much about. That's not, y'all don't even have anybody like that in your life, do you? I'm the only heathen in this house. You know the one that, like, your personality in there somehow just don't click. I mean, if you, if you didn't talk to them again, it'd be okay. You don't mind praying for them. I just don't want to have to interact with them any. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all starting to warm up the idea. I see you got some of those. But when you see them, oh, hey, it's so good to see. See you. I had not seen you in so long. How's that precious family of yours doing? And you walk away going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David says the one who dwells on God's holy hill will be examined not only by what you said, but by what you thought. Not only by what's on the outside, but by what we truly thought on the inside. Verse number 3, he that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, and nor taketh up reproach against his neighbor. The world is good at hiding things behind cute little words that are sin before God. While I'm meddling, I might as well go ahead and stay on it just for a minute, and then we'll be done. See, the, the world likes to take what is straight-up, absolute murder of innocent babies if you don't like these next two lines of preaching, you probably ain't gonna like being in church here because I ain't changing for you because the word of God ain't. They take the murder of innocent babies and they hide it behind some little word called abortion. This country will stand accountable for what we're doing. God has not changed his mind on a picture of killing innocent children. And and then we like to hide it behind a couple of cute little words and take what God has called an abomination. It's homosexuality, working that which is unseemly. God says it's an abomination, and we want to hide it behind something like alternate lifestyle. Now, here's the problem. As Christians, we're quick to point that out. Those are the obvious things. But what we don't want to point out is that we take another sin and hide it behind a little word called gossip. Oh, he say that out loud in the church on a Sunday morning. Nobody will be back next week. We we like to hide things behind little words that God says is a sin. If it ain't bad enough, today it's not just our tongue that keeps us in trouble because we got those crazy little boxes that's got them dots that you spend all your time doing, and we text it more than we talk it. But all that shows it don't matter if it comes from, from the thumb or from the tongue. It comes from the heart. However you put it out is just a picture of what came from the inside. Now, God puts all sins into the same classification. All sin is separation from God. Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about it, verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That word, not convenient, means it's sickening. It is not fit. It is sin before God. But then he gives a list of some of the things, verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Man, I should have kept a merge over here for that one, shouldn't I? Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implicable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Last week in one of the messages, one of the preachers talked to the young people, and he said, you can't just say it doesn't really matter to me. If that's what they want to do, that's their business. It doesn't really matter to me. I'll just... Try to make sure I do right. No. The text says for those who approve of someone else doing those things, that they're just as guilty as the one who actually does those things. As Christians, we can only not do sinful acts. We cannot condone that which God has already said is sin. We don't get to approve what God has already disapproved. So what God says is sin is sin. Backbiters, those who gossip, those who murder other people with their words. Not only we're we not to be the one who says it, but we can't be the one that listens to it. If you won't listen to it, they can't say it. You're just as bad as them, as bad as they want to say it. You got itch and air to hear it. If you didn't want to hear it, you'd cut them off and put a stop to it. You'd set people right. You'd bring them back to the Word of God, so let's talk about something worth our time. Let's fill the air with something positive. Let's talk about the goodness of God. But no, the itchy ear wants to hear this stuff. So for the one that listens to the gossip, it's just as much a sin as the one who's speaking it. Can I tell you that stuff gets around and words can be extremely hurtful. Wednesday night, they did a skit. A couple of the young ladies did a skit over here, did an amazing job. Lindsay Pike was one of them in the skit and she she pointed out the fact that Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a straight-up lie. Words will cut you deeper to the heart than anything else can cut you. If anything else cut you as bad as a word cuts you, you would bleed to death from it. They not only cut, but they leave scars that never heal. They they put things in that, that never go away. did an amazing job. Words of the tongue. Words of the tongue. You listening? Words of the tongue are a portrait of the heart. Do I need to say that again? Words of the tongue are a portrait of the heart. If you didn't think it, you wouldn't have said it. It, Isn't it amazing how so many in today's world who claim to be Christians will tell such filthy jokes? Isn't it amazing how those who claim to be Christians in today's world will involve themselves in such filthy conversations? Listen, dirty on the outside is nothing more than evidence of what lives on the inside. I'm I'm not being judgmental. I'm I'm just preaching the Bible. The one that will dwell in the Lord's house, he says, is the one whose words are righteous, he that backbiteth not with his tongue. But then he says, nor doeth evil to his neighbor the one who will dwell in the lord's house is the one who loves the lord and the one who loves his neighbor jesus gave it to us very clear and simple a new commandment i give unto you that ye love one another as i have loved you that ye love one another by this no other thing by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples that ye have loved One to another. He says, the man that dwells in God's house is the one that loves people. If you love somebody, it'll show. It's not that superficial, hey. (laughs) It's a genuine desire to see somebody. It's a genuine desire. You don't go to the altar of God to pray for them out of necessity. You go because you love them, regardless of where they are in their life. You're lifting them before a holy and righteous God that God can reach out. And you pray for them because you love them. Our words and our deeds, every area of our life allows everyone around us to see what truly lives inside of us. Verse number four, it says, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. That means you can't put up with that stuff. Listen, if you can't tolerate being around worldly people, don't, don't take that bad against yourself. the the Spirit doesn't connect. If you can't stomach the filthy conversation, there's a reason for that. The Holy Spirit inside of you don't like the filthy conversation. So he he tells us here that that whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but but he that honoreth them that that fear the Lord. He he honoreth those that, that are the Christians. We've talked about this word vile describes somebody. You know, we talked about it a lot of times. We hadn't this would be the first time getting to hear it, but how the silversmith to make silver pure, they would take the silver and they put it in a pot over the fire and the heat from the fire melts the silver so that it becomes liquid and what happens when silver becomes liquefied is all the impurities are pushed out by the heat and the liquid and all the impurities come to the top it's called the droth it's nothing but waste it's nothing but imperfections it's all of the nasty that's in the silver and they take that screen net and they dip the droth off the top and they throw away the impurities and now the silver is more pure and they pour it into the little blocks and they make pure silver blocks but if they want to make it more pure they put it back in and they'll melt it again they go through the process and all the impurities come to the top and they take all of the nasty all the the impurities and they draw it and they throw it away until the silver becomes pure this word vile right here is referring to the junk that they threw out it's re- it's referring to all of the impurities that was drawn out see uh, What the vowel is, it was something that infected that which was otherwise pure. He says, for the Christian, for the one that that walks with the Lord, for the one that will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he can't stomach that kind of people. He doesn't approve of the deeds of those that are out there in the world. He doesn't approve of all the nasty stuff that's going on. He loves the church. I said he loves the church. He loves Christians. He loves brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, not just Faith Baptist Church, the church, the bride of the Lamb of God, those that are washed in the blood, brothers and sisters, all of the same family, for all of eternity. He loves the church, and he loves the Christian, and he loves those things because he loves the Lord. He loves those who brings glory and honor to God. David says, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changes not. That means that his word is reliable. He is a man of honesty and integrity. He will tell you the truth, even if it works against him. Even if it's not going to slide into his favor, he's going to tell you the truth no matter what. He is consistent in his words. He is consistent in his deeds. If he says it, You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. He's not one that changes because honesty is his only policy. He doesn't make false promises just to to pacify the time, just to make you happy for the moment. David says two things about the one who will be in the Lord's house. They're fair and they're consistent. Verse number five, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. That term usury is a word that means interest. So here it is in a nutshell. Christians, you can loan money to Christians, but you can't charge them interest. Let's go to the other side of that coin. Some of you that loaned the money will say, thank you for adding that in. It doesn't mean you don't get to repay it. It doesn't mean that the one who borrows the money doesn't have to repay it in a timely manner. What it means is that you can loan money to another Christian to be repaid, but it says that you can't charge interest. That's what's meant by that term usury. You're not capitalizing on brothers and sisters in Christ. Nor taketh reward against the innocent. Reward against the innocent is what today we would call a bribe. The the one who will dwell in the Lord's house is not one who can be bribed. His integrity is not for sale. The one who is more concerned about making money and having all the things in this life, I mean, the solution is simple, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you, but that's not the way they do it. They go after the things first because that's the things that really matter. That's not the kind of person that David says will dwell in the Lord's holy hill. But David says this about the one who lives their life in the way that he described in the previous three verses. He says, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Oh, I like that part. We'll look at how to get there, but I like that part. He, he's fixed on the things of God. David says in the first Psalm, chapter 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The one who does those things not only will be in a fixed position in this temporary tent, but will be a full-time resident of the Father's house. He will dwell permanently, live permanently on the Holy Hill. But where do we find somebody like that? Surely ain't me. You ain't even got to get to my inside. Just don't cut me. i go ahead and tell you, you ain't find enough impurities on the outside. You ain't got to cut me open. I don't know what all's wrong in there, but I got no. So, so it sure ain't me. So where, where do we find this one that is? Perfect, and there's without blemish on the outside and on the inside. Well, obviously, to find that, we got to go over to the New Testament. His name is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the living God, born of a virgin named Mary, that he had no sin in him. He's perfect on the inside and on the outside. He is the only one who fits this perfect description. But at Calvary... I told y'all, y'all get off the hook for what was all said and done. At Calvary, he passed his righteousness to you and I. At Calvary, he took what was perfect and said it can be yours through me. At Calvary, he said, I can wash away all your imperfections, all your guilt, all your stain, all your sin, every failure, every mistake. I can make you victorious over every trial. I can bring you into the presence of the Father. But only for those who accept him as their personal Lord and Savior. And there's a problem. There's a problem in today's society, and I'm sorry, but this casts cast a bad picture to Christianity. Call me judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. There are many people who claim to be Christians, but their fruit bears no proof of such a claim. They claim it with their lips, but they're living no aspect of it with their lives. That they, they may have spoken some words. Y'all, y'all stay with me. You need to hear this. They may have spoken some word with their lips. It said, oh, Jesus, forgive me because you just wanted to hear a little prayer because at some point you wanted to step in and you just wanted Jesus to be your fireproof insurance. But that ain't what he's looking for. He's not looking for words of the lip but words of the heart. He's looking for the man that says, Lord, I am truly sorry for my sin. God, I truly want to spend eternity with you. I know that I am a sinner. I know that I am lost. I know that I need to be saved. And, Lord, here's the deal. Not, hey, I just want you to save me from the fire when I die. I want you to save me now. I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit now. I want to live my life pleasing to you now. And they surrender their heart and their soul to Jesus Christ because they spoke from the heart. To be a resident in the Father's house. The only way we can get there is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have no righteousness of our own. We have no good deeds of our own. We're never going to do enough good stuff to to earn your way into heaven. The, The works that we do will never get us in. The only way to enter into heaven is through Jesus Christ. So David here to me describes a person that we can't be except through the precious blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. If we examine ourselves and and we look at the way we're living, how far are we from that picture? How how many flaws can we think of just right off the top? How close are we to truly being like Christ? Because that's our goal. Regardless of our weakness and our failures. that's our goal. It's our desire to be like Christ. Anybody want to be like Christ? Go ahead and raise your hand. You want to be like Christ? We want to be. It's a struggle, is it? We want to be like Him, but that's because we have the Holy Spirit in us. It gives us a, a, a desire. So, so the question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what it all boils down to. Do you see yourself dining at the Lord's table? Can you see yourself seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb? It all boils down to the relationship. For those who will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, there has to be a desire to serve him now in this life. While it may be true that no amount of works that we may do will get us into heaven, we don't work for salvation. We work because of salvation. We don't work to get saved. We work because we are saved. We don't do things to get into the presence of God. We do things for the glory of God because of what he's already done for us. Newsflash, some of you ain't going to like it. All of the ministries, and if you look at this church, it's full of ministries and all the things that's out there. All of the ministries are not there for this pastor and that staff to do. The ministries are put in place by the staff so that you have ministries to serve in. that to create opportunities so that all of God's children can reach a lost and dying world. It's not our job to get in and do every ministry that's here. There ain't enough of us but everybody likes to do something different. There are ministries in this church where everybody can serve. If you don't, it's because you're choosing not to. I just lost half of you. Don't turn me off. Stay there, stay there, stay there. Don't turn me off. The ministries are in place so that God's children can serve because if we're truly saved, we're just going to want to serve God. God has no interest in being associated with hypocrites. Oh! You did not say that on a Sunday morning out loud, too, what I'm talking about. God has no desire to be involved with someone who is a part-time Christian. You either are a Christian or you're not a Christian. And the proof of the truth lies within your works. The proof of the truth lies in how you live, what you do, If you don't serve him when you think nobody's looking, then don't try to serve him when you think people are. It all comes from the inside. So what David says here is if we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, we must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then it's more than just casual Christianity. What David says, just pulling them out of the text right there, it's about walking uprightly. It's about working righteousness. It's about speaking the truth in our hearts. It's about not backbiting, not backstabbing, not gossiping, not tearing down others with our words. It's about loving our neighbor, not taking reproach on them, still pulling them right out of the text right there. It's about honoring them that fear the Lord. That means loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's about being consistent in our words and our actions, being a person of integrity, somebody that we can count on, somebody that's always the same. It's about a person who does more than just fill the air with noise pollution. If they say something, it means something. It has something to do with the glory of God. It's about a person who is truly filled with the Holy Spirit, and it is evidenced by the life that they live. Now, that's what David says the person looks like who will dwell with the Lord in his holy hill. And he says, if we're going to dwell with the Lord in his holy hill, we ought to look that way in this temporary tent that we're residing in now. But he says, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Oh I like that part of the promise. Let me ask you, you what bow your heads right where you are just for me. I just want to ask you a question. If everybody just bow your heads, close your eyes just for a minute. You don't need to look around. It's just a simple question. Do you know that you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know for a fact that after the trumpet sounds and Jesus calls home the bride, do you know that you'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Do you know that you'll be dining at the Lord's table Do you know that after the tribulation and after the thousand-year millennial reign, when God brings all things to the end and he restores all things new, do you know that at that time you'll still be in the presence of God, one of his children living in the kingdom of God, because you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you know that now beyond a shadow of a doubt, nobody can take it, nobody can shake it, nobody can change it. You've got a relationship with the Father through the Son that nobody can have, and you know that. Will you raise your hand right where you're at? Just a testimony that says, hey, I thank God all my sins are washed away. I thank God for what he's done in me. I thank God that even a sinner like me can be restored into a presence of fellowship with God Almighty. I thank God that I am saved. Thank you for the hands all over the building. You can put them down. So for all of us who raised our hands, the question is, are we living proof that Christ lives inside of us? Are there things in our lives that will make another Christian look at you and go, mm, 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 Man, you know that ain't right. Are, are there things in our life that the world out there could look at and say, oh, he's supposed to be Mr. Christian? If that's what Christian is, I don't want none of it. You know what I'm talking about? So those of us that raised our hands, are we living what we're supposed to be living the way we're supposed to be living it can the world see christ in us and through us that's your question that's your question for you and you alone if not i'd ask you right now just take a minute and pray you can pray right where you are say god help me i want to be that person i want i want to be pleasing to you really nothing else matters i just want to be pleasing to you god help me to be everything you want me to be and Help me to overcome sin and temptation. Help me to be the person that David described right here. I just want Christ to live in me, that the world might see Christ in me. But if you couldn't raise your hand, if you couldn't say, I know I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven when I die, well, there's only a couple of choices. You either think you are, but you don't know it because you're just not real sure about whether or not you meant it, or you're not real sure about the Word of God, or you know for a fact you're going to hell. Well, that's not being bad, just a hard time preaching. That's just telling you the truth. You know. You know the truth. You know and God knows. Nobody else knows. You know. If you're saved, you know it, and if you're not, you know it. There's no part-timing with God. If the Holy Spirit moved inside of you, you know that. So the question is, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you've never trusted Christ, would you like to? Would you like to know that you know that you know? 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe in my name, the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. There is no hope so in what I have. I don't hope anything I know so according to God's word because Jesus Christ is the savior of my life, savior of my soul, my Lord, my redeemer. You can have that this morning. Maybe out there on live stream, maybe on YouTube. Listen, it may not even be Sunday morning anymore. You may be watching this in 2022. I don't know. I don't know when you see it, but I do know this. If you're hearing it right now or whenever you're hearing it, God put you here for a specific time. Behold, now is the acceptable acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your day. So whenever you're hearing this, your time is now. Are you willing to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Lord, I am a sinner. You can't be found until you know you're lost. If you think you're good enough to get to heaven on your own, you're never going to get there. You've got to know that you're a sinner lost, separated from God by your sin, and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm just asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm just asking you to come into my heart, and save my soul in Jesus' name. I want to live for you. I don't want to just not have to go to hell. I want to live for you. I want to live for you in this life. And I want you to help me. Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Give me guidance and direction now. Save my soul now. It's not a magic prayer. It doesn't have to be a word for word. You just have to surrender your heart to God through Jesus Christ. If you're faithful to ask him, he's faithful to save you. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you for loving us the way you do, God. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that washes away all of my sin, everything that I have done, everything that I will do, God, that everything is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. For any this morning that may have trusted christ as their personal lord and savior god i pray you'd fill them with your spirit i pray you would give them guidance and direction lord will you walk with them and help them father to be pleasing to you help them to learn your way to help them to learn your word god i pray you'd put christians in their path to help them with guidance and counsel Lord, for those this morning that are your children said lord i just i've made some mistakes i just want to do things better i just want to do things right i want to be the picture of the person i want to be in god's family portrait i want to be a picture of the one that that david described i want to be the one that you can look on pure on the inside and the outside i